Welcome to episode 251 of CXO Talk. We are speaking about customer experience and customer experience applied to IT. Every CIO I speak with, and I speak with a lot of CIOs, is focused on this. What can we do better? How can IT relate to customers in a better way? And where does, how does all this fit with digital transformation? And today we are talking with two amazing people to discuss this. I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. And I want to thank Zoom for underwriting this episode and making it possible. Zoom provides a video-based communications collaboration platform. And in fact, you're watching a Zoom meeting right now because we use them here at CXO Talk. And just on a personal note, they have been, their, their, their support for us has been awesome and their customer service. And so thank you to Zoom for supporting us. Now, we are speaking with two amazing folks today. We are talking with Gwen Becknell, who is with Hewlett Packard with, H, with now HP, and Tamara McCleary, who is a famous expert on digital transformation. And Tamara, let me say hello to you and thank you for being here and being a guest on CXO Talk. How are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you so much, Michael. I'm so excited to be here talking with you and Gwen today on such an incredibly um, I think a sexy topic as far as business is concerned, because if you don't have customers, you don't have business. And as far as IT is concerned, isn't IT involved in everything? IT is central to business success in this era of digital transformation. So I think you picked a fantastic topic for us to kick off. And um, I absolutely love the fact that we are discussing customer experience with Gwen, because uh, I think she's an incredible example of someone at an incredibly huge organization that's intimately involved with those external customers, but even more importantly, our employees are customers as well. Wouldn't you agree, Gwen? Absolutely. Definitely. So Tamara has, has just made a lot of CIOs happy by saying that IT can be sexy. And, you know, I think we, that's definitely true. And so uh, our second esteemed guest is Gwen Becknell, who is from HP. And Gwen, thank you for being here. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for having me today. I'm, uh, my role at HP is uh, the senior director of employee experience. And so, as Tamara mentioned, I am constantly worried about how our employees are doing. My role uh, is really around all of the things that touch an employee today. So it's all around the PCs and the printing that happens, but also things like video collaboration and then collaboration via Office 365. It's all the tools that the employees need to make sure that they can get their job done to then serve our customers, our external customers. And I know a lot of your focus is, in fact, around treating those customers, treating your IT stakeholders as customers and trying to figure out how do we do a better job serving them and create the right kind of experience for them. That's what that's that's what you do. That's absolutely what we do. Okay, so I want to remind everybody that there is a tweet chat going on right now on Twitter with the hashtag 
CXO Talk. And we have about 5,000 people who are watching at the moment. And so all of you guys go over to uh, Twitter and you can ask Tamara and Gwen questions and we'll try to respond to as many as we can during during this show. So, so Tamara, when we talk about digital transformation and we talk about IT, give us a sense of the lay of the land. What are we, what are we talking about? What we're talking about is businesses that are having to transform themselves in order to stay relevant and to grow with where we're going in um, a rapidly um, expanding digital environment. So the rules of the game have changed on many levels and the rules of the game have changed with respect to customer experience as well because as we all know and we are all consumers and customers in the b2b and enterprise space but also in the b2c space we're all consumers and we have changed the world has changed our expectations have changed we demand a level of personalization and relevance like at no other time in history. I mean, I love to say, do you guys remember how incredibly amazing and how it surprised and delighted us when we were on an airplane and they had Wi-Fi? And it was like, woohoo, this is amazing. It's it's incredible. And now, but now, think of, of where we are now. If you don't have Wi-Fi or the entertainment system is down in flight, everybody is angry. Why? Because it's become an expectation. So I think... When we look at digital transformation and we look at companies uh, racing to not only stay relevant, but to innovate and be uh, the front runner, is that these rules have changed, which means we have to be incredibly creative with how we um, develop the ability to uh, co-create with the customer a level of experience that keeps them coming back. Because if they don't like us, if they don't like the experience they're having with us, that's what's going to drive them to the competition. So the competitive edge right now in this time of digital transformation is exquisite customer experience. I think, can I, can I jump in there real quick to you, Tamara? I think that that's right on. And one of the things that I'm always talking to my team about is we have... 24 hours in the day, right? Everybody always, everyone has the same amount of time, but with technology, we're able to, in essence, give people more time by making things more efficient for them. But the converse is also true. If we trip them up, then all of a sudden we're taking time away from them. And so we really got to be very uh, cognizant about the fact that we have that ability to give or take time away from our employees, our customers, et cetera. Skype is another great ex example, just like the airplane uh, analogy you said there. Think about the days when we used to have audio conferencing and, you know, you had to start getting ready to go to your conference call a minute or two early so that you could dial in the first the, the number, then you had to dial in the conference code number and wait for everyone to get on. And now, you know, with Skype or Zoom, you're able with a click of a button to be able to get into your calls and just get going. Um, and when that doesn't work per perfectly for you or seamlessly, then all of a sudden we're annoyed, right, about the technology and how it's not enabling us to really be as quick as we want to be in this fast-paced environment. I cannot even agree with Gwen Moore because how many of us get annoyed when we send a text message and we don't get a response for a while or you see the little three dots blinking on your phone you're like come on or just answer the question. So you know the chaos and overwhelm are the new norm right now. It's where everybody is functioning and that's why when you have 
organizations like Amazon that make it easy to grab what you want and walk out without having to stand in line in a queue to pay for it. People love that because nobody has time. And time is the one thing that all of us are grasping to try to have more of. And yet deep down inside, we know we don't have more time. It's gone. So Gwen, this notion of the technology just working, is that, can we say that that's kind of the foundation of customer experience that you try to to push forward with your users? Is that it? Or are there other pieces? What's involved with it? I think to a large extent, that's true, right? We want to be the lights on organization. So if people don't have to think about the technology, that's a good day for us. It's when they start to have an issue or things don't work appropriately for them. And then they are looking to, you know, the help desk and, and to find out what they can do differently. So the more we can get into kind of that electricity lights on mode where everything just works seamlessly for them, that they're able to uh, work from, you know, the time they get up in the morning seamlessly through their, their uh, coffee, et cetera, and then getting into the office through driving to work into the office, the more we can make that a seamless experience for them, the better off we are, right? So in my team, we're really working on the mobility play and how we can ensure that they can work seamlessly from one um, modality to another. It doesn't matter. We want to get to a device agnostic space where it doesn't matter if I'm on my phone or I'm on my computer or I'm on my tablet, that I should be able to seamlessly go from one thing to another. I should be able to transit around the building and not worry about my Wi-Fi dropping or that I'm coming in, in and out of a conference room and it's, you know, the workplace of the future for us is really looking at how do I walk into a conference room and instantaneously knows that I'm there and it will, it can start up a Zoom meeting or it can start up a Skype call and connect to um, be able to wirelessly share on the screen and with the rest of the world. And so those are the things that we're really working on and focused on is how do we become more in the background, but just make sure that the employees and in essence, our customers, be able to do their job without having to worry about the technology. Another example, you know, if you think about video conferencing with Zoom or with Skype, typically people build in 10 minutes at the beginning of their meetings when they go into a video conferencing room because they know the technology, they know that they're going to have to figure out how to connect everything together, do they have the right connectors. And so what we're trying to do now is just really look at the easy button right? So how do I walk in and just hit one button? I'm instantaneously connected. My boss harps on this every day. <laughs> and uh, until I get that easy button done, uh, you know, our, our work is really not done. And so we're working on that. We have a question from Twitter, a really interesting one. And Wayne Anderson, he's, uh, he's asking, he's, he's, he's asking Gwen, uh, what does digital, uh, when digital goes to the cloud, uh, how do employee perceptions and expectations change? And actually, I want to broaden that to and ask and ask you both about this issue of employee expectations. How how have expectations changed, and what is the impact therefore on IT? I mean, Tamara, maybe you. I'll ask you that first. Well, I think, uh, you know, as far as what employee expectations are in, in the IT department, I think that the IT departments, I have a lot of compassion for the IT department because the IT department is asked to do all kinds of things now 
not not tomorrow. And then it seems as if different uh, factions within the organization, whether it's sales or marketing or customer service, uh, product development, all of a sudden, you know, every department is actually can be uh, chasing shiny objects. And then all of a sudden they shift gears and they want something else. And then they come to IT and they want to get it done, not really realizing all the things that IT is already invested in and working toward. And so I think that the employee expectation is almost as if IT department is a department of wizards that have a magic wand. And whenever you have a desire, you go and you ask the IT department and then they should just be able to do it right away. And um, so it, it, it plays into this whole immediacy that we all have within our culture. You know, we immediately have no ability to delay gratification in our society. And so within the workplace, you see that with, I need this and I need you to do it now. And I think that, you know, it would behoove organizations to come together with that breaking down of silos so that everyone can understand the pressure and the extraordinary responsibility that each department has. And that's why I love some of these organizations that actually rotate their employees around different departments so that they can have a better understanding of the pressure that sales is under, the pressure marketing is under, the pressure that IT is under, and that everyone is doing their best. And we only succeed in an innovative society um, and, and rise to the top when we come together to work together. It takes a village. And Gwen Becknell from HP, Arsalan Khan from Twitter is jumping in and he's saying, who is the customer anyway? And so, so Gwen, how do you think about your customers on this issue of their expectations of you in IT? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with Tamara. The expectations have never been higher from an employee perspective on the IT department, right? The more ubiquitous the technology is out and about and around us, you know, people have more technology and availability in their homes, right? And so as that stuff changes, their expectations at work are just growing exponentially every day. And um, another, another thought that Tamara had kind of hit on here was around this whole notion of empathy, right? About making sure that we're utilizing design uh, thinking and empathizing with our customers. For me, it's our employees and making sure that um, we're empathizing with what they need to do. But it's this expectation of instantaneous gratification is a tough one, right, from an IT perspective. Even with all of the agile methodology that we have these days to be able to really quickly be able to, to shift things, there are, it's always a dichotomy of being able to do more with less, right? And so we don't have in, instantaneous uh, ability to always deploy all of the different technology that we want to. And then we're also on the opposite side of that, looking at costs. Right. So even working at HP, we don't I don't have a you know unlimited budget. And so it's trying to look at how do we get the most for our money and make sure that we're allowing that um, the technology to be brought to our employees, but at a cost effective mode. So, Tamara, there's this balance of cost versus customer experience versus or enabling customer experience versus having the empathy and the understanding to know what to enable and how do, how do those how do those pieces fit together wow okay that is such a power pack question michael <laughs> 
it's massive because I think, you know, cost is definitely uh, a high priority and consideration when you look at you want to be successful in businesses and it's business bottom line and everybody's got their budgets. Um, but at the same time, I think when we're focusing specifically on customer experience, you know, it's not all about cost. And it's more about perhaps consideration of, um, I like the question of who's the customer and also how are we all working together to serve the customer? Because in the end, I do believe that the customer owns customer experience and that the organization, try as they will, can never control perceptions. In fact, you and I can't control how other people perceive us. So how can an organization control how their target market perceives them. Instead, it's about realizing that those individuals that you're marketing to, even in the B2B and enterprise space, you know, when you're making a, um, a sale in the enterprise space, there might be five different individuals within an organization that have the decision power, and they all have five different perceptions of your company. So it's about how do you make sure that everyone within the organization um, is functioning with that same value set, that same passion, that same committed sense to this is what we do. We, we have the best product or service and we want to service our customers. And when you have that, the culture within an organization that comes together on a shared mission and vision, you have internal customers treating each other much more respectfully um, because everyone realizes that it's a together thing. It's a team thing. And it's, it's, it really is. Customer experience internally and externally is really about people coming together, really more about shared values and purpose. And I do believe that that saves money in the end um, because you don't have all the, the problems that um, you have when you have an organization that says, not my job, that's them, that's not me. And um, so I do believe it's just a coming together around that shared mission and vision and having a passion. And that's why startups have so much energy because people are working at the startup because they are excited. They're excited. And some of these larger organizations have lost their, um, their sparkle and employees need that. People need work that is meaningful and real. And when you have that, you create trust with your target market. And it's that trust that builds relationship, which builds a long-term positive experience through that human relationship. I, I just want to say, I want some of your sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take that. So I'll take some of that too. All right. Now, now, all right. There'll, there'll be a line later. So go on, Gwen. <laughs> yeah. So I think Tamara's, Tamara's right on, right? And working in a very large organization, we do have the silos out there and IT is definitely separate from the rest of the business. And we're trying to really knock down those walls and be able to get into really understanding what is the most important for our customers, our different business units that are out there. And it's, it's harder to do than um, it might sound, <laughs> but to be able to really get in there and make sure that our, we do have shared alignment around our goals and expectations. Um, I spend a lot of time with the various different business units and, you know, being 77,000 employees, we have a lot of customers that we need to uh, take care of every single day. And the expectations around 
the regions versus the global units around the different business lines. Um, the expectations are different around those and their needs are different. And so it's really how do we not do uh, something that we traditionally did, which was a one size fits all from an IT perspective to really understanding what are the differences that my um, segmentation can give me and then how do those different segments need to be serviced. And so that's one of the big things that my team has really been working on. Um, if we talk about you know, the needs of PCs or the different types of ways that they need to collaborate with their employees. Um, one of our big missions, you know, coming up too is really how do we get around, get away from the email jail that everyone hates, right? The fact that we're constantly uh, collaborating via email and looking at more things like Teams or um, other social collaboration so that we're not necessarily stuck to the traditional modes of being able to communicate back and forth and be able to really um, break down some of those walls and have a much easier mode of communication and being able to engage our employees, right? I know from, a, from our perspective, I'll send out an, you know, an IT message out to the employees and I know darn well, a lot of them are going to be honestly, you know, they're going to go straight to the circular file, right? They don't look at them. It's just one more thing that's coming out from the IT department. So we're looking at how do we engage with our employees differently around doing video clips, around doing social media channels. We have Yammer where we're trying to get more engagement with the employees versus just this one-way communication that goes out. So the whole collaboration piece is essential in the transformation of IT to be more customer centric. Absolutely. Communication is our number one, you know, mode with, with being able to get back to the employees and not being a bunch of men sitting in a data in a data where data um, center that are, you know, kind of behind the scenes, but really getting this empathy. And um, I like to kind of, I kind of coined it, you know, humanizing IT again and really being part of the company and not, not just sitting behind uh, the walls of the help desk and sending out um, communications and talking about the technology or doing things to our employees, but really collaborating with them and helping them to be able to get their jobs done. And uh, Gwen, I know that you were closely with Zoom, which is making it possible for us all to be here today. And so uh, briefly, tell us about what you do with Zoom. I know it's all around this issue of, of collaboration. Yeah, so we've been working with Zoom for about a year now. And uh, in that time, we are utilizing Zoom from a video conferencing perspective. So again, that we can help to bring the employees together so that they can get their jobs done. That whole collaboration piece from a video perspective has done a couple things for us uh, within HP. We have about 125 uh, video conferencing rooms across the globe that allows people to have a pseudo face-to-face -face, uh, engagement between them, and that's uh, done a couple of things. One, it's really allowed us to uh, reduce costs from a travel perspective because now, you know, you and I can have a conversation even though we're thousands of miles away, but we feel like we're, we're able to collaborate together. Um, there's whiteboarding features and uh, lots of different uh, collaboration pieces that come along with Zoom that allow us to almost act like we're all in the same room to be able to collaborate and then we, so we see a cost savings there and also the, the ability to bring our employees together close, more closely. We have about 5,000 users currently within um, HP that are using Zoom. It's just starting to take off now. We have around, this last month, we uh, had about 700,000 minutes on Zoom. Wow, that's a, 
that's a lot of minutes. Uh, and so where does this all fit into this sense of creating a, a bond or a sense of community or shared culture at HP and between IT and the rest of the organization at HP. I think this is a very, very important point. So it, it allows us to enable that collaboration, right? And really get, it really allows us to bring people together so that they can have that communication mode that they need to without having to worry about, you can imagine a company like HP, hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars that we spend on travel a year. And so if I don't have to travel, I save time, I save money, and I'm able to then have that same feeling of being face-to-face -face without having to worry about it. I can literally just be in my current location in San Diego and I can be having a, a good conversation with my boss or whoever, the rest of my team that are sitting in Palo Alto without having to worry about hopping on a plane and taking a half a day out of my uh, schedule to be able to go do that. So Tamara, we've been talking, I think, around the general topic of how does IT transform? And from your standpoint, you speak with so many different organizations. Could you kind of summarize some of the key issues around that IT transformation? Yeah, from my perspective on the side of looking at, you know, I come from the, the marketing perspective versus the, the IT uh, specific piece. But in all of the conferences that I've been going to, and we've all been at the, the past decade or more, for me, it's been 20 years, but you know, we've really been talking about this digital transformation. It's been the word du jour for a few years now. And I think for, for IT, it's about getting down to the granular level of being the practicality of how do you digitally transform while at the same time still provide your core business uh, value and uh, mitigating risks in the meantime as well for IT. It's a huge concern. So it's almost as if you've got to change the tire on the moving bus. And, you know, because for the IT department, it's we have to innovate, we have to innovate, we have to innovate. I was you know, recently uh, in a meeting where the IT department was asked by the organization, okay, where's our AI? You know, you don't just do AI and, um, you know, and where's the budget for it? And, you know, how many heads are we going to get for this? And so, I mean, it's an extraordinary task that the IT department is strapped with. And I think that digital transformation, you know, is, is calling upon, IT as well as everyone to be incredibly creative with how they're going to sustain the, the business um, as usual while at the same time innovating and reinventing the organization. It's it's a tough it's a tough role. That's why I think IT is so sexy because <laughs> because think about it for the organization to innovate for the organization to transcend itself and and be a vibrant company. Your IT department is like your heart and it's, it's pumping out that oxygenated blood. And, you know, if you're, if you're in heart failure, if your IT department is suffering, you're not going to survive. And so I love the heart. And that's why I think, you know, IT has a special place in my heart because you're not going to innovate as an organization without supporting your IT department. So I have never heard anything approaching, uh, shall we say, IT poetry 
before this. And so, so Tamara McCleary, this is, that's a first for me, IT poetry. Uh, but, but Gwen, you're, again, you're in the middle of this because you're the one that users come to and say, so where's my AI? I need an AI to, you know, help me with my email. What about it? And how do you, how do you respond and how do you unify these folks and how do you, how do you get them on the same page, Gwen? Yeah. So, I mean, really this, the use of technology to differentiate ourselves and um, change the way we're servicing our employees, it's, it's all about trade-offs, right? And so there's so many opportunities out there for us to do some cool, sexy things like Tamara would say. Um, we're looking into AI ourselves. We're looking into doing lots of different chatbots and other ways to be able to innovate and make things more efficient. But it's it comes down to looking at all of the different plethora of things that we have available to us and then really trying to understand what is going to be the most important to differentiate us for our employees then to be able to, you know, work, work and service our own customers from an HP perspective. I think it's just really around looking at things completely differently. If you think about Uber or Airbnb, those are those were uh, a new way to solve traditional problems, right? And so we've got to get better at being taking the technology that we have and think about things like flip it on its head, right? Or pump the heart a little bit harder, as Tamara would say, and really be able to shift things that wouldn't be the normal and, and get it to a place where we can really innovate for our for me, for our employees, so that they can innovate for our customers, for HP's customers. And I have one other question for you on this, Gwen, and then then we need to turn to another important technology, which is women in technology, because we have, after all, two amazing women in technology here with us today. But how do you know, at the end of the day, how do you know that this is working? That that the transformation of IT is happening? Are there signs? Are there signals? Are there smoke signals? How do you know? Well, I can tell you, I definitely know when it's not working because that's when my boss and my CIO come and let me know right away when things aren't working well. But it, it is around, you know, CSAT and understanding from customer surveys, from being able to get out there and talk with the employees. Um, we have several different metrics that we use internally at HP to understand whether the technology is working. And then, so it's one thing about understanding the technology piece of it. And then the second part is really that customer feedback, right? So our employees are uh, not quiet about feedback to our department. And so we have multiple different channels for them to be able to give us feedback via our Yammer page, via surveys that we do. Um, and then there's a lot of, you know, just the uh, informal channels that happen, like I said, that come through escalations that give us that, that constant feedback. But we have to keep our pulse out there to really understand what's happening and not rely just on our metrics, but to really understand one of the things that we've spent a lot of time over the past couple of months on is we may be thinking that everything's great and then the hallway chatter tells us something different, right? And so how do we ensure that what we feel um, from a metrics perspective is really indicative of what those employees are feeling. And so getting closer to them, again, back to that humanizing IT, making sure that they, one, know how to contact us, get back with us, and give us the, the real feedback, right? Because we can't fix it if we don't know that something's not working. And Tamara, I'll just toss this uh, last one out to you. You can have the final word on this, this topic. So an or IT organization is changing, it's evolving. How do they know that they're on the right track? Sometimes it's easier said than done. Tamara, what do you think? 
I think you know you're on the right track when you have your sales feeling supported by marketing, feeling supported by IT, and the machinery is working well. And you know it's working well when you're meeting your KPIs, when the business is growing, and you know you're net promoter scores are going up. You know, you, you've got uh, customers that are happy. So when your customers are happy and your internal customers are happy and working together, I think you're on the right track and you're, you're growing. We have a question from Twitter that's a really interesting one, again, from Wayne Anderson, who says, what are the traits that support this balance of creativity and innovation? Just very, very quickly, why don't you each take a shot at this? Tamara, you were just talking, want to just jump in on this, uh, the, the traits that support creativity, the IT organizational attributes, shall we say? I think it's a, a culture of innovation to me is a company culture which supports um, making mistakes. It supports um, coming together to think differently. Um, I think it's an IT department that also embraces diversity because we know that um, you know groupthink isn't innovative at all. So I do believe that it's the culture. You know, it's the feel within that. IT environment, are they attracting uh, talent in that is a diverse talent or is it everybody looks like everyone else? I think it's important to look at culture because culture is so powerful and often overlooked. And Gwen, you're so you're going to get the final word on this on this topic. There's this whole issue of creating the right culture within IT to connect with the users. Any, I'm I'm sure you must think about this all the time. This is this is kind of central to what you do. Yeah, for me, it's really around risk risk taking, right? Being able to take those risks and make mistakes, and then be able to learn from those mistakes and push the envelope. Right. So if we're not out there, if my team's not out there being risky with the things that we need to do, and of course, if there's a balance, I'm sure my CIO, Naresh, would be like cringing a little bit right now <laughs> to hear me say this, you know, but we need to take those risks, right? We need to take calculated risks so that we can push the envelope forward. Okay, we could continue talking about this for a long time, but, but I think we should talk about this issue of women in technology because we have two very, very successful women in technology here on this show and you know it's such a such a complex topic i'm not even sure really where to begin but maybe maybe a place to start is talking about the the are there unique challenges or what are some of the challenges that women face in in this very male dominated technology field either of you thoughts well, you know, I'll start with the, you know, one of the big challenges that I think is that, you know, you look at only 5% of startups are, are female owned. Um, and that's, to me, that's, that's tragic, 5% of startups. And, you know, in the high tech industry, the quit rate is more than twice as high for women, 41% than it is for men, Seven, it's only 17% for men. And, you know, last year, venture capitalists invested just $1.46 billion in women-led companies, whereas male-led companies, um, $58.2 billion in investments. So did you get that $1.46 in women and only in 58.2% in, into, into male 
um, uh, led company. So does that, you know, I feel like I'm in the middle of the story, the emperor's new clothes where I'm going, he isn't wearing any clothes. I mean, does anyone see how incredibly disparate these numbers are? So, you know, you look at, well, what's the problem with women in technology? And you look at the fact that, you know, you're walking into an environment that is male dominated. And, you know, we were just talking about culture a minute ago. Culturally, there's some huge differences between men and women. And I'm not generalizing across the entire population of gender, but I don't think I'm out of line in saying that there are some differences um, just even in our brain structure. I mean, I come from the science background and in the 80s, um, you know, looking at a career in molecular physiology, I was the lone woman. And I'm still the lone woman on most of these panels. Or when I go to give a keynote at a tech conference, you know, the only other woman happens to be a moderator. So, you know, I think that we still aren't represented, but I think the scary part, and then I want to hear what you think, Gwen, but I think the terrifying part for us is we are talking about how there aren't enough women in this industry. But in 1991 is when women in technology peaked. There was 36% of women in computing roles in 1991, and now only 25%, 25%. So that's a decline of almost 40% in just 25 years. Now, when you look at, you know, our projection with the Internet of Things and by 2020 and 2025, all kinds of things that we've got going, we've got AR, VR, um, AI, we have a decline of, of women currently in technology and we need more and more people in tech now. So if we're talking about this now and we're declining, it doesn't look very positive for the number of women that will be involved in technology in say 2020, in 2025. I think that one of the key things is really, and we've talked about this for years, right? This is not a new topic, but getting our girls interested in technology at a much younger age. Uh, HP's got a partnership right now with the with Santa Clara University, and we're looking at how do we get the middle school girls more interested in tech fields, right? So looking at STEM and how do we kind of start to groom them at an early age. Once they're looking to make a decision about what major they want to go into at college, it's too late, right? We've got to get them much earlier, kind of focused in on less about playing with Barbies and more about, hey, how am I going to make that next app that's going to be really cool for, for technology? And I, and I believe as technology has shifting, it's pulling more women into it and the girls into it because it's, it's blurring the lines a lot more than it has been in the past um, with the traditional uh, way that, that girls are raised versus boys. But we've really got to focus in on how do we get that STEM career going for the females so that they can be um, more on an even playing field by the time they get into college and then come out of college and into the into industry. And, you know, I, I think it's a team effort. I, I absolutely adore men. I married one and then I birthed one. So, um, you know, that's my social proof for adoring men. But it's, it's a togetherness thing. You know, we need men. We need uh, men to sponsor us into, um, you know, when you look at even board positions, you know, we could get into the stats of how many females are on boards. Most men on boards didn't get their board role through a headhunter. 
They got their board role through knowing somebody. So, you know, we need, it's not just about mentoring. It's about having sponsors and we need these strong males to help, you know, bring us and the females together to, to learn and grow and also get into those positions. And look at how many men are now fathers of these young, these young girls, these young women. And I think what's inspiring to me is what a lot of these dads are doing to inspire their daughters to get into STEM fields and to um, explore their creativity and and go to hackathons and code and so I think that really we have to call upon each other men and women to come together to look at how we can support everyone in this environment and you know I'd say to some of these men out there who are the women that you know that are strong and capable that you could sponsor that you could recommend that you could reach down and, and pull up and to me, that's how we do this, is we do it together. Yeah, and I would challenge even, it's not just the men, right? They're, the women that are there, that are out there in the technology field today, we've got to sponsor other women, right? I feel like sometimes the women can be the hardest ones, right? They, they make it up there, and then I don't know if it's out of fear or what, but they, there's this tendency to not help the next one along. And so I really challenge it's the men and the women. We've got to get out there and really make sure that we're helping everyone and not, and we don't want it to be um, like a special club, right? It's not just about bringing the women up. It's about bringing the diverse group of a population together so that we can be better uh, together, right? So it's not just women, it's, it's all, all around the various different diversities and making sure back to your um, comment, Tamara, on groupthink. Right, we need to get this really diverse culture. That's what's going to drive us to the next level. Amen, sister. You preach it. See, I told you, it it is hot. <laughs> <laughs> We've got poetry and sex now connected with <laughs> it. This is hey, I've been doing this a long time, and it's definitely a a a first for me. Well, look, we have just a couple of minutes left. And so Gwen, let me let me ask you, what advice do you have? I mean, you've kind of been talking around it, but what advice do you have for organizations who know that this is important, but maybe they're suspecting, mm, maybe we're not doing enough? What should those companies do? Any thoughts? I think they do need to be really thoughtful about it. It's not just going to happen. And so without having some very specific programs that are targeting towards making sure that diversity is um, really important within the organization, it's, it's not just something that's gonna, that they can think about and it's gonna go away in the next you know, 10 years or 20 years. It's something where we really have to put, I think, programs in place and we have to be thoughtful about how those programs are put in place. Because again, I, I've seen lots of different um, attempts at this where we end up segregating people even more because it becomes this, this club or, you know, it's the women are now all in a room together bashing the men, you know, which doesn't happen, but it's around the perceptions, right? So how you work to get this diversity in there um, is really important. And so it's, I guess my biggest advice is just be thoughtful about it versus assuming that it's going to take care of itself. And Tamara, you're going to get the, the last word. Although the last time I said you got the last word, then Gwen had the last word and then you did. And then Gwen had the, the last, the real last word. But now you're going to get maybe the real last word. We'll see. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I love Gwen. I'll just sit here and listen to her all day. Um, that's a lot of wisdom coming out of that that box with a, that face in it. Um, I think that sometimes what's really helpful for an organization when you're looking to make a shift or a change um, or pivot is to get some fresh blood, which means go outside the organization. Sometimes organizations become so myopic in their focus that they lose sight of the freshness. And to be refreshed sometimes means bringing in an outsider to at least initiate or consult or make a movement within the organization. And what's interesting psychologically is that those internal customers that we were talking about, the employees, they often respond far more positively to an outside force saying something that internally uh, management can say and it falls upon deaf ears. There's something magical about an outsider. So take a look at maybe using an outside agency or an outside consultant um, to come in and, and help you transform or at least get on this road to transformation. All right. Well, you know, we're we're out of time. We're over time. I sure wish that we had more time because what an, a very interesting conversation this has been. And I really want to say thank you to Tamara McCleary, such a uh, famous person in digital transformation. Tamara, Tamara, thank you for, for being here and for taking the time with us. Thank you, Michael. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. And uh, man, I had some fun with you guys today. I hope uh, the people listening have as much fun. And it, it is an honor and a privilege. And it's an exciting time to be alive. And I'm really grateful that I get to have this experience. Thank you. Well, thank you. And Gwen Becknell from HP, thank you for taking the time and for sharing your your practical experience and your practical stories of doing this because at the end of the day you know we can talk about it but you're in the trenches doing it every day so thanks so much for for being here gwen we really do appreciate it yeah thanks for having me i enjoyed it and a huge thank you to zoom for underwriting this episode uh, it makes it possible for us to do cxo talk and to have these incredible conversations Come back next week. Go to cxotalk.com slash episodes and like us on Facebook. And also uh, subscribe on YouTube because that's a good thing to do. Everybody, thanks a lot. I hope you have a great weekend. Bye-bye.